where it's like you're getting your cup filled from multiple different places, people, situations that you can then show up more fully into your primary relationship or this core relationship that you're you're talking about. Welcome to today's podcast episode. Have you ever had that conversation with your significant other or someone in the past where you've kind of mused over whether or not you could ever open up your romantic relationship? I think it's something that a lot of us do kind of chew over a little bit in varying degrees, whether it's just an offhand comment because maybe you're watching a show and there's a couple with an open relationship and you turn to your partner and say, oh, do you think you could ever be in an open relationship? And you might have a light discussion, or perhaps it's something that you have seriously given a lot of thought to and you want to explore, but you're just not sure what the first step or the next step should be. Maybe you've been considering opening up your relationship or turning to ethical non-monogamy because you feel like your relationship isn't growing and it's no longer serving you. I feel like that's a very common assumption with open relationships. I feel like people often just anecdotally kind of go, oh, they must have opened up their relationship because they're not in a good place. And so today's conversation is all about non-monogamy, open relationships, the how, the when, the why, the what, and the common, I guess, pitfalls that people may experience. My guest for today's episode is Selena Nguyen. Selena is such a wealth of knowledge, and I definitely recommend every single person jumps over if you have Instagram and clicks follow on her Instagram account. I will make sure that we've got the um, exact tag in the show notes for you so that it's easy, but you'll be able to find her if you jump on over to Instagram and you just type sex with underscore cell in, that is her username. So Selena is a sex and relationship therapist. She works with couples, she works with individuals online and also in clinic. Again, details are in the show notes if you would like to book a session with Selena or just find out more information her website has so many great resources available as well. Her list of qualifications is so long. She has a master's of science in medicine, sexual and reproductive health in psychosexual therapy, a graduate diploma in relationship counseling. She has a bachelor of science, psychology and sociology, her bachelor of arts that is. Selena has training in the Gottman method therapy, fundamentals of kink, polyamorous clients and the healing power of open relationships, just to name a few, because honestly, her list of qualifications is incredibly long. So as I mentioned, she does see people in person in Surrey Hills in Sydney, but also online for relationship counseling, sex therapy and education. And she also offers a content creation service. So jump on over, check Selena out. Selena Nguyen was such a pleasure to chat with. We actually ended up recording two episodes together, so you'll have to keep an ear out for the next one. But without further waffling on from me, let's get into my conversation with Selena. 
Just quickly, a word from today's sponsors. Unless, of course, you're one of our Venti members. In that case, there are no ads and your episode is about to keep playing. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I think maybe the best place for us to begin is to just work out what ethical non-monogamy really means. Is it the same thing as an open relationship? Is it the same thing as polyamory? What does it all mean? Yeah, yeah, and I feel like that's obviously such a great place to start because the reality is non-monogamy is actually a huge umbrella term for everything else that you mentioned. So, yeah, open relationships, polyamory, they all fall under that umbrella of what non-monogamy is. So other forms that we might see in there would be like swinging or I think lesser known ones could be things like Uh, solo polyamory or relationship anarchy and there's like lots of very different variations but essentially non-monogamy as itself essentially means any relationship structure that isn't monogamous you know and I think that's an important distinction where we say like open relationship that's still a whole spectrum of what open relationship means you know open relationship could still be like uh, we agree that we can make out with anyone we want to, or we agree that I like that I can go see a sex worker on the weekends or something, or we agree that I can have a friend with benefits. So there's still a whole spectrum of what non-monogamy is once we break it down and once we break it down even further. And I think a good starting point for all of us to understand would be that it's all very individual to what everyone in that relationship agrees upon and negotiates and is obviously comfortable with as well. I'd love to know just in your opinion and because I know you work with clients and this is the world that you live in, I would love to know what's your opinion in terms of humans as monogamous creatures? Do you think that we are all kind of suppressing a desire to be non-monogamous because of societal norms? Or do you think that, no, we are technically, and I say in quotes, little bunny ears, (laughs) meant to pair off and be monogamous? Like, where do you sit on it? I I try to refuse to engage in that conversation because it's like very much like a nature versus nurture, chicken or egg kind of thing. And Esther Perot actually mentions it quite a bit where she talks about how uh, monogamy as we know it, where we date one person, we follow this this relationship escalator of we meet, we date, we get married, we buy a house together, we have a kid, we live happily ever after, we die together. That relationship escalator as we know it is a fairly recent and new phenomenon, like literally in the last like 100 years or so. And... I think when we talk about like nature versus nurture, I think a lot of us want some kind of like validation or like reason to like accept, you know, our curiosity about non-monogamy or our curiosity about sexuality and what that can look like in other different shapes and flavors. Um, So I, yeah, I tend to just say like, you know what, I don't know if it matters or not because I think it's a way of kind of just avoiding owning and accepting 
you saying that you want to explore something like that or only accepting that you just want to be monogamous and that's also totally okay as well you know and I guess it also brings in a morality kind of lens as well doesn't it because it's like well if we can say as humans we are designed to be non-monogamous or as humans we are designed to be partnered up then it does allow this element of like morality like this is good that is bad and there's a whole lot of othering which just brings in all sorts of problems. Yeah, absolutely. And like when we think about it, nothing about the way that we live life now is how we were designed to. You know, we were designed to be like in caves, in like fishing and hunting and things like that. Nothing about the way we live life is how it used to be. It's so true. We weren't designed to have these little computers that we carry around everywhere in our hands all day. Yeah, yeah. And like, absolutely to your point around it being a question now of like morality. And I think it's also like of sexual shame as well, hugely, where it's about judgment, you know, that you want to be exploring other things or that you're accepting queerness, maybe, you know, that um, questioning whether or not that's okay and trying to find justifications, essentially, that you can like, put your hat on saying, oh, like, that's just how we were designed to be. You know, but I, I don't know if there's much value or peace in that. Non-monogamy seems to be a lot more common for those in the queer community or the LGBTQI plus community, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's also um, very loose research and I guess like anecdotal experience as well that there are connections around neurodivergence and gender diversity And that being a huge, um, I guess, point of being curious because you're questioning a lot of these structures about the world and about the way that we see things and interact with each other that I think monogamy as a concept kind of naturally falls into that as well. Just like, why are we just dating one person? Why are we just having sex with one person? You know, because obviously, yeah, like queerness, you're questioning a lot of like, am I really attracted to men or am I just like trained to be attracted to men and I haven't been exposed to any other options? You're so right. It's that pulling of the initial thread, I guess, about breaking down stereotypes and knocking down those walls. And so, yeah, it's like if I can knock down this wall, then what about this wall and this construct and that construct? And then you do start to realize, oh, it's all just these little constructs. Yeah, it's all just made up, really. (laughs) Yeah. Do you see many people in your role as a sex therapist who come to you and say, look, I'm interested in exploring non-monogamy within my existing relationship. What does this mean? You know, does it mean that there's something wrong with my relationship? Like are people coming to you and being like, does this mean that it's boring? Does it mean that I'm not satisfied? Is that some of the thread pulling at the beginning? Absolutely. And there is so much shame bound up in that as well, where it can be that question of, oh, I feel attraction to other people. Does that mean I don't love my partner enough? Or maybe that, you know, maybe I don't want to have sex with my partner every single day, but there's this person at work who I find really attractive and I want to have sex with them. You know, does that mean that there's something wrong with me or something wrong with my partner or the relationship? And yeah, it comes back to this point of, shame but also like monogamy culture where we've kind of learned that apparently once you get into a long-term monogamous relationship your sexuality should just revolve around your partner you know and I, I super problematic because 
that's just not how desire works. That's not how sexuality works because then it also becomes more about your partner owning your sexuality in a way rather than it being your own living, breathing entity. I'm so glad that you said that, Selena, because I think that a lot of people enter relationships, particularly in heteronormative relationships, and they do start to have this ownership over their partner's fantasy life or their partner's desires even. And it's like, they want to know, are you watching porn? How often are you masturbating? Are you thinking about me? All of these sorts of things. And you're starting to infiltrate areas of your partner's, I guess, not to say secret life, but privacy. And it's like people are doing that so openly expecting to have so much ownership of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also really normalized as well. You know, that questioning of, um, yeah, are you fantasizing about other people? Are you masturbating still? And that somehow being a challenge to the partnered sexual relationship when I think it actually adds more to it, you know, that they have their own fantasies, that they have their own sex life and desire that they can explore and also bring to you if that lines up, you know. And do you think that extends right through with non-monogamy as well in terms of if there's a couple and they're both consenting to ethical non-monogamy and they're working out their boundaries and we'll touch on ways that they can do that, but do you think that can then add and actually improve the quality of their relationship? In talking about it? No, just in engaging in it, just in terms of, you know, you were just mentioning that if your partner is watching porn that they like and they're masturbating, you don't actually have to know all the ins and the outs, but them having the right (laughs) to express themselves and enjoy themselves and please themselves, it's not necessarily taking away from you or a reflection of you, the other person in the partnership, and then you're getting a more full version of your partner because they are happy and they are fulfilled. And so I'm just wondering if then when you're working with couples, that concept extends out to those who are non-monogamous, such as a couple are both non-monogamous, they've got their boundaries, and it's like, oh, all of a sudden, my partner is so much happier, they're so much more themselves because they've got that freedom. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it absolutely does. And I think you worded it really beautifully. And I think it also extends to not just like sexual needs, but also like emotional, intellectual kind of needs as well, where it's like you're getting your cup filled from multiple different places, people, situations that you can then show up more fully into your primary relationship or this core relationship that you're, you're talking about. And that's actually like a really beautiful way of looking at it where it's like just because I get joy from one friend doesn't take away from the joy I feel with another friend. And it's the exact same thing in this context of like these monogamous or non-monogamous relationships. Having sex by myself doesn't take away from having sex with my partner, you know. And I think it is it is tricky territory in the sense where it can overtake uh existing relationship or primary relationship and that's you know maybe a whole other discussion around um things like i guess imbalances around time or effort or finances or something like that where you're obviously putting a lot more um again like time effort energy towards for example masturbation and that can also be a way of avoiding partnered sex or avoiding something else that's going on in the relationship so it is tricky and it is a kind of nuanced as well. But I think the general gist of it, when we're talking about non-monogamy, understanding our needs, is that 
of course, the more that you get your needs met, the more you're going to be able to show up more fully in a relationship. And it's just balancing or straddling that fine line of, is it taking more than it gives? Yes. Yes, exactly. So if you have an individual or a couple come to you, Selena, and they say, we want to open up our relationship, we want to explore ethical non-monogamy, what is it that you then help them to kind of do as their first steps? Like, do you have a checklist that you're like, right, these are the six conversations you have to have? Yeah, yeah, like I do. And I think it's I what I really love about these conversations when we're talking about opening up or we're talking about exploring polyamory or any different type of it. It's that it actually really requires us to take inventory of our relationship and to have these conversations that I think all relationships should be having. So it's like these expectations around how much time do we spend, how we're going to spend together, how often do we want to be communicating, what do we want to be talking about, Um, what are our emotional expectations from our relationship, what are the financial expectations. And we're often only really having a lot of these conversations Uh, during a crisis or like after a crisis or following cheating or an infidelity where we're like actually having conversations around boundaries or expectations around because a lot of it otherwise is a lot of assumptions and a lot of oh like I didn't know you were texting other people I consider that as cheating but you don't consider that as cheating and many people kind of just clicking that they have these different definitions that's just one example but of course that expands and flows over to like these many other areas around how much time we spend together, how much, like what does commitment mean to us? And that, of course, how I show and receive love is differently from how you show and receive love. So we're having these like really beautiful conversations around what we actually want from this relationship and what we're also wanting from other forms of relationships. And that's always I mean, a huge starting point because there's always so much there to uncover and a lot of people haven't obviously had these conversations before or haven't thought about these questions before on a very, like, tangible way. You know, if I had to put, um, like, a time expectation around how, how often do I want to see you? How often do we want to have date nights, you know? Um, yeah, and that yeah. all makes so much sense because – if you are going to open up a relationship, I imagine you've got to have these really honest, really raw conversations and you have to get to the crux of expectations and boundaries and also understand that everything is fluid. And these are definitely conversations that we all need to have regardless, I think, of whether or not you're opening up your relationship. But just as you were chatting then, Selena, I couldn't help but thinking, I think a lot of people probably look at couples who have an open relationship and think, oh, they're doing that because they don't care about each other and they don't value each other. But I have to imagine that having an open relationship is actually probably an incredible vehicle or an incredible vessel, for lack of a better expression, for personal growth and also relationship growth because you're doing the work. It's like, you know, you are just going intense. Like it's not about disregarding the other person. It's like, okay, let's, you know, let's face these really big obstacles head on and see what we can learn about ourselves and each other. Yeah, for sure. And like, I think there are people who kind of dive into non-monogamy as like a last resort trying to save a relationship. And I think that's also um, a lot of the ways that we see non-monogamy pictured in like movies or film or media where it's just like, oh no, someone cheated and now they're just trying to figure out how to stay together. 
you know, and I like I'm not discrediting or invalidating that experience because that's also very real. And I've seen that in my like sessions as well, like right in front of me, which is super troubling, but that it is actually yet yeah, this really beautiful way of showing up for yourselves and for the relationship, you know, and that um, I think when we're talking about monogamy and we're in a monogamous relationship, we have this illusion or security blanket of perceived safety, you know, at least I know that they're not messaging other people. At least I know, I know that they're not hooking up. You think you know. You think you know, as far as you know, right. And you can relax to a degree, you know, in that, safety that this is what you've agreed upon at least if you've had even had that conversation but in non-monogamous relationships you're kind of like ripping that band-aid open saying you know this isn't even a certainty right now they could be they probably are hooking up with someone else right now and you have to find security safety within yourself and in the relationship that um figuring out what is important to you you know, because they're still choosing to come home to you at the end of the day. And that's makes a huge difference because they're making a choice to be in this relationship and to show up still, even though they have all of these other options now. So you know that it's not just like out of convenience or out of habit, you know, that they're actively choosing. It it's- definitely sounds like there's a degree of personal growth gymnastics, kind of like the Olympics of personal growth that needs to happen for both people to be on board with it. And I'm glad that you touched on that, that stereotype of, you know, a last ditch attempt at saving a relationship. I also think there's the stereotype of the man playing up and the wife looking the other way because she doesn't want to lose that stability. But that's not what we're talking about today. We are talking about two or more, I guess, consenting adults who are both wanting to explore the ethical non-monogamy route and also define what that means for them as a couple. So I imagine you are well used to seeing both the positive and the negative sides of non-monogamy. What are some of the challenges that couples or individuals come to you with? Yeah, and I, I think one of the most surprising things for many people who don't work in this space or don't who aren't having these kinds of conversations or in these kinds of communities is that it's still kind of the same as any monogamous relationship because at the core of it, like at the end of the day, we all want to feel accepted, loved, appreciated, understood by our partners and like the people in our lives, you know, and that doesn't change no matter what your relationship structure is. It just means that with non-monogamy that there are a lot more variables. And again, there's that lack of security, that, the illusion of security, I mean. You know, so at the same time, it's still like a lot of just like communication and figuring out time or jealousy or things like that, where each person just needs like we're just trying to figure out a way that everyone can feel heard, seen, appreciated. And it's not as complex as I think it initially feels like or sounds like. Of course, there are a few more variables, like, for example, yes, like sexual health and like having to navigate those conversations or having to manage the reality that like you're you're dating someone else so you have to share your time like not necessarily evenly but fairly you know whatever that means for you so that there are a lot more variables but that doesn't necessarily change at the core of it what the issue is and it's just like how do we all feel loved in our relationship how can we show up for each other 
It's such an interesting thing to even just think about. Like last night we were walking our dogs. Um, I've got twin boys. They're turning 10. And, you know, at the end of most days, we'll chat about what interviews I have coming up, what episodes I'm excited about. And I was saying, I'm so looking forward to chatting with you. And they said, what are are you going to be talking about? And I said, oh, ethical non-monogamy and also ethical porn consumption. And I'm very open with both of the kids. And then we were chatting about what non-monogamy means and all of these sorts of things. And we were just, I guess, bouncing around on our family walk as to how we imagine we might feel if we were in those situations. And it's quite funny listening to, you know, a 10 year old think about these concepts, but they were quite funny. And one of the boys said to me, I think I might be a bit jealous if I saw my partner getting ready to go on a date with someone else. And then I was saying, yes, I think I'd feel a bit like, oh, I'm getting the everyday version of you and someone else is getting this sparkly first date version of you. So even that, like even just managing that, I guess, rub up against of resentment versus what are they getting? What am I not getting? Reality, all of those things, like it just must bring up a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, firstly, love that you are having this conversation with your boys. Like that is so wonderful because like, and I think that's what is so exciting about this space and like working with a lot of parents and people who are in like um, in the midst of like building families and figuring out what they want, like the future and what they want to teach their kids as well. And there's like a lot of shifting of values around. I want to show them that happiness in terms of like a relationship is not just this one picture of that escalator I mentioned. You know, you meet, you date, you get married, have kids, whatever. You know, and I think that's so beautiful. Um, in terms of what was our second question around like jealousy and resentment and all of that. Yeah. I mean, that's, I feel like that's a very human experience. And I think, yeah, one of my favorite things about non-monogamy is that it's like not shying away from it, not burying it and pretending it doesn't exist. But if you're doing, I mean, if you're doing non-monogamy well, that you're creating open lines of communication to be talking about it and finding Uh, building safety in those conversations that you can one I mean firstly foremost that jealousy resentment all of those fun feelings aren't necessarily time question mark (laughs) question mark yeah they don't they don't um what's the word I'm looking for they don't symbolize um a flaw in who you are, a flaw in the relationship or that you're not doing a good job or something like that or that you're not enough. It just means like you're having like a very human reaction to just like missing your partner or wanting something from your partner and it's okay to feel that, you know, and whether or not you you share that with your partner or you just like do some of your own self-breathing, self-regulation exercises to just like let it pass because at the end of the day they will just pass um, that it's not something to run away from. And it can also be a really beautiful experience to share with your partner. Not necessarily that, you know, jealousy is great and all of that, but that you're sharing that with your partner in the me- in a way as a way to connect or reconnect with each other. I'm just like, oh, I, I feel like I miss seeing you dress up. I feel like I miss, you know, having these fun, exciting date nights. You know, can we book something in next week? It's so true, isn't it? Because even in a different landscape, like if I think about social media, you know, if I'm doom scrolling and I see someone and it sparks a feeling of envy for whatever reason, that's my invitation to be like, why am I feeling that? 
you know, what can I actually do about that? What does it say about me? And so I do completely understand what you're saying there about like, no, no, this is your invitation to kind of explore that shadow side. And that's Mm. hand in hand with it also being a vehicle for personal growth and self-awareness. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I always say that it's just like using jealousy or any kind of like those negative kind of feelings that we we see and define as negative as just like a check engine light to just like check in with yourself see exactly what you said like what's going on with you what are you needing you know what's the story that you might be attaching to it is it actually grounded in anything real anything in front of you or is it just made up you know I'd love to know do you see many couples that do open up their relationship and then close it back up yeah yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think part of getting through a lot of this process of just like unpacking a lot of this internal uh, internal monogamy culture that we just have in our heads around, like there is one way to be in a relationship, there is one way to be happy, is that you see that it's not like this black or white approach, you know, that you are non-monogamous and that you're non-monogamous for the rest of your life or that you are monogamous, you must be monogamous for the rest of your life, that it's allowed to obviously like ebb and flow. You're allowed to make a decision and you're allowed to, you know, make a mistake as well. And that for some people when they explore opening up, maybe they realize they did it for the wrong reason or maybe they did it and, you know, things are coming up for them that they just can't seem to cope with. Like, for example, work stress just piled up on top of that or something happened within the family that just piled up on top of that. So non-monogamy just isn't a priority right now. So it's just like, let's just close back up and let's just like revisit it or like, let's just see what happens and like revisit this conversation, you know? So it's not, doesn't have to be set in stone. How can we like actively start to address some of those stigmas that are attached with couples who are in a non-monogamous relationship? Obviously, conversations particularly with kids that there are more than one way to be a family there's more than one way to be in a romantic partnership all of those sorts of things but what else do you think might be helpful for our listeners to consider when it comes to that snap judgment of oh that means it's bad or oh that means their relationship's in trouble Mm, yeah and I I think it's like my therapist answer where it's like self-reflection is absolutely useful you know and it's like understanding like where did that come from is that valid is that grounded again in anything realistic um where did you learn that your way or your perspective of relationships is the right like quote-unquote the right way you know and I think Hmm. I was just going to say, even stress testing your belief, hey, because it's like, no, no, monogamy is the right way. Well, hang on. Let's think about how many marriages end in divorce. You know, all of these sorts of things I've found really helpful with myself. You know, if I have something pop up and I'm like, oh, that's kind of an inherent racist belief or that's an inherent misogynistic belief or internalized misogyny or something like that. It's like, hang on, let's stress test that thought, you know, take it a step further, work it out. Yeah, yeah, and I love that use of like the word yeah, stress test because you're essentially just like challenging it. I'm just being like, yeah, like is this like really valid? Where did I learn this? And who is it benefiting or who, like what is it neglecting or what is it paying attention to? Because like a lot of the times that when we're having that gut reaction of like, oh, they're in an open relationship, that means it must have been your husband's idea and that you're just going along with it. Like that's also, I mean, there's so much 
in there as well around like misogyny and sexism and gender roles and women, your idea that women doesn't don't have autonomy or a sexuality for themselves. Um, but it's yeah, really useful to just, I mean, again, self-reflect and challenge yourself. And I think also expose yourself to these conversations or to people in this space who can show you what, I guess, healthy non-monogamy or health, like healthy relationships in general, what they look like, you know? And I think a big part of it is exposure to different forms of relationships and just knowing that just because how you feel about how you feel about it is just how you feel about it. You know, it's not inherently the, the Bible or the whatever it is. It's just one perspective of looking at things. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast episode. If you want more of the I Am podcast in your ears, make sure you become a podcast subscriber. It is really, really simple to do. All of the details are in the show notes for the cost, actually less than the cost of a cup of coffee per month. You will receive access to exclusive podcast episodes. That's right. You'll get a bonus episode every single week that you will not hear anywhere else. And to be honest with you, I really am sharing a lot more over in those exclusive episodes. It feels like a really safe zone for me. So make sure you check out the subscription offers that we do have available for that exclusive content. And perhaps best of all, all of the episodes will be ad free. So if you feel good about supporting a female founded, female led business, check out the subscription offerings available and become a podcast supporter today. Today's podcast episode was recorded on the land of the Bunjalung Nation. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.